Well, church, good morning. Please go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. And we'll pick up where we left off last week here in verse 15. And we're going to read through verse 17. And last week, if you were here, we, if you were here online, you saw the Apostle John um, showing us different steps, different uh, phases, different stages in the Christian life. And how that our really particular you know, progress requires particular teaching. And, and now in today's passage, John is gonna bring all of that together and give a charge that every Christian, whether you're a, a, a newer Christian, whether you're a, a, a tween, a, a growing, maturing Christian, or whether you're one, a veteran a Christian, the one that's pouring into other Christians, now John is gonna give a word to all of us, a danger that's looming for every one of these stages. Um, and it's this one, the love of the world. And John wants to warn us against that today. So let's begin reading his words by the power of the Spirit in verse 15. John writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. This is God's word. So if you remember at the start of last week, I talked about my, my kids and their soccer and how Oliver at six gets a more uh, very, to his level, um, easy soccer coaching. Take your shape. They're not working on how to strike the ball, um, how to do turning your hips a certain way. They're not working on that stuff. It's very simple. And how Ivy at 11 years old, her soccer skills, their coaching is a lot more geared to their level, working on this kinds of strikes, working on headers and, and all that kind of stuff. Well, now, well, we gotta realize both of them, whether they're six or whether they're 11, they're both aiming for the same thing. They're there on the soccer field. What are they trying to do? They're trying to win. Whether you're six or 11, you're trying to win. You're trying to not lose. You're trying to actually play the game, to actually finish, to, to play hard. Whether you're six or 11, that is both the goal. And beloved, what we must realize today is that you and I, we're on the field. We're in the game. We are in the battle. As the apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, don't you know that runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes, exercises self-control and everything, they do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So do you see what he's implying? We aren't just in the stadium. If you're a Christian, you aren't just in the stadium spectating. You are running. You are enlisted. And he says to run to win. Meaning, finish your race. Run it. Go. Run with Christ. And, and John is kind of doing the same thing here. Paul talks about uh, this imperishable crown. What, well, what did John reference? Look what John references. The one who, did, verse 17, the one who does the will of God remains forever. They're both bringing to our minds as Christians the eternal value and weight and expectation that lays right there before us. 
And now John is looking at every Christian, little children, young men, young women, fathers, mothers, and is telling us, don't love the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. This is our charge. This is the command today. And if you remember the chart from last week, the chart that had, okay, here's each group and and here's what was said to each group and here's what that means. Now we could take verse 15 and we could really tack that on as a new bar at the end of the chart. Whether you're a little child, whether you're a young man, young woman, whether you're a spiritual father or mother, now it's all funneling to this command for us today to not love the world or the things in the world. This is the imperative This is the the command for every Christian, the temptation that we all face, every battle. This is the hurdle that we must seek to jump day in and day out as we run, run with Christ. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, I don't know if you've seen these uh, tough mudders, a mud run or a Spartan race. Uh, So take running, which is already very difficult in itself, and now add mud pits, add fire, add barbed wire, add electrified lines to crawl under. I mean, I, I can't believe people do this for fun. I, I've done it. it, it was a lot of fun, but when you say it out loud, it starts to sound really weird. All those obstacles, the fire pit, the electrified wires, the greased rope, the, the hill to climb, the, all of it, They are all jumped, they are all overcome gladly because there's a goal, there's a reward and it's a communal experience and there's a prize at the end. Church, in our progress as Christians, this is the mud pit that we've got to overcome daily. This is the electrified wire. This is the greased rope that you will have to overcome these temptations to love the world. And and here's what I want us to notice, and it's gonna be be real clear in a second. It's important for us to notice today and to really see and understand, understand this all throughout the Bible and understand this for your spirituality for for the rest of your life. When the apostle John says, don't love the world or the things in the world, this is the first command so far in 1 John. The first command here we are to almost two and a half chapters through the book or through chapter one. We're in the middle of chapter two now, so one and a half chapters through. This is the very first command in the book. That's significant. Well, what has John been telling us so far? He's been reminding us of truth. He's been packing our hearts with essential nutrients and vitamins, strengthening our understanding of Christ and, and who we are in Christ, what, what it means to be forgiven so we can live properly with Christ. And here's what we've got to see that's happening under the radar that now I hope we can bring to the surface now. To faithfully live out this command, this imperative, do not love the world, we must see all the indicatives that have come beforehand, all the truth statements from before. And so here's what I mean by indicatives and imperatives. Indicatives in the scriptures are saying what is true. What are things we've heard from 1 John? Just from last week. Um, your sins are forgiven. You are strong. These are all true statements about who you are in Christ. His word remains in you. 
You know God, you've, you've conquered the evil one. You know the one from the beginning. All of these things now are meant to lead us to verses 15 and 17, to the imperative, what to do. The, the truths of, of what, what is true, what we need to know, who we are, now lead to what do we do? And John says, since all these things are true about you, don't love the world or the things in the world. This is how it operates all throughout the scriptures, all throughout Paul's writings, all throughout that we would see this is how we must live. Before John tells us what to do, he front loads it, downloads to us all the things that are true about us in Christ. And now once you know and you have faith in those things, now you can faithfully and fruitfully walk these things out. Indicatives come before imperatives. What is true leads to what to do. And that reinforces your faith when it's true. When you do this, it reinforces it. So when you really do believe what's truth, that the evil one is conquered. And when an opportunity shows up in your heart, in your soul, in, in, your, in your situation for you to fulfill the desires and lust of the eyes, you're tempted, but you know what's true. I've conquered the evil one and you turn away from that sin and you don't love the things of the world, what happens? You feel even more encouraged. You feel even more zeal for your identity. You feel even more like, yeah, I really am a child of God. And that leads you to want to do it, obey it again. And when, when you feel it again, like, yeah, I, I really am a, a child of God. And then again, and it cycles over and over and over by obeying, the, by obeying God's will, by doing the things that Jesus teaches us, it brings back to us and encourages us. I really have conquered the evil one. My sins really have been forgiven. I really am made new in Christ. And so since we are these things, we don't want to love the world. As he says in the beginning of verse 15, don't love the world. Now, what does it mean to, to not love the world? Well, let's uh, get clear about what it doesn't mean to not love the world. I know this can get really hazy and it has for decades, especially and I think in the Bible Belt for what it means to not love the world. Christians have abused that verse for centuries and decades. So sometimes you hear this command, don't love the world, as meaning you can't love sports and really be a godly man or woman. You can't enjoy uh, anything Disney if you're really gonna be a, a godly person. You can't dance. You shouldn't watch movies. You can't have nice things. You should never buy a new car. You should only buy used cars. That's loving. All these kinds of things that people come up with for what it means to not love the world. And that kind of thinking leads to a Christianity that only enjoys unseen spiritual things and devalues anything that's material, anything that's physical. And, if, if, and it's almost as like if Bibles aren't open and bad coffee and casseroles aren't being served, then it's of no spiritual value. That is not what John or Jesus teach or Paul or Peter, that is not what it means to not love the world. Because as Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, look, everything created by God is good. Everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected. The beach isn't evil. Laughter isn't unchristian. Having fun 
is not unspiritual. Brisket tacos and basketball aren't weapons of the devil. They're gifts from God. So when John says, don't love the world or the things in the world, he isn't saying to eject from the world. In fact, where else do we see in John's writings the most mega statement of love and the world? The most famous statement of love and the world, probably the most famous verse in all the Bible, John 3, 16, for God loved the world. Whoa, how can John say don't love the world? And yet John also writes elsewhere, God loves the world. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God loves the world. Salvation is available for every world dweller in the life, death, and resurrection of his one and only son. See, Jesus came really manifesting God's love for the world. And if you trust him, you're saved, you're forgiven, you're made new. So, so if God loves the world, it can't mean, okay, to not love the world means we gotta turn our back on the world. No, God comes to the world. Okay, well, now what does it mean? What does it mean to not love the world? Well, the world that he's talking about isn't the people, isn't the plants. He's talking about the sin of the world, the sinful structures and patterns and ways of our world. And to not love the world means it's the kind of relationship you would have with the world, a kind of love that you would have that it never loses. The kind of love that is supreme, that drives your life, drives your emotions, drives your actions. You know you, you know you really love something when you don't want it to ever lose. This is what John's cautioning us against. You, you've had these battles. You know, if you have a DVR or a TiVo or something that records, you've had a battle of loves with your DVR recordings. Uh, maybe you've had this happen. We have a conflict. You're watching TV and a conflict pops up on the screen. It's impressive that a conflict is happening because these shows can these things can record up to four shows at a time. And if we're watching TV and a conflict pops up, uh, hey, it's basically saying, we can only record four shows at once and now you've got a fifth or a sixth show that's trying to record two. What do you want to do? Something's got to give. This is a battle of the love. Who's going to lose? Which show do I love more and not want to lose? So here are our options. Which show's going to get the boot? Is it going to be Top Chef? Is it going to be Looney Tunes? Is it going to be The Jump, which is an NBA show? Is it going to be Seinfeld reruns? Or is it going to be Puppy Dog Pals? Puppy Dog Pals is out. Because I, we don't love it that much. It's, it's gone. So even in your DVR settings, you, you can set priorities. You can put a show and say, this show's number one. It can, I don't want this show to ever lose. Anytime there's a conflict, this show wins. Always. Friends, your DVR settings, they are a parable of the spiritual inner workings of our hearts. What's at the top? What will always win? What will never lose? And John is telling us, do not put the world in the never lose category. 
Do not put its offerings, do not put its possessions, do not put its sinful temptations and pleasures in the never lose category. Because if you do, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If the world is in a never lose category for you, John says, then you must not know God. Because the love of the Father, the triune God, should be in the never lose position. See, this, this battle of, of love, you can see how often the word love just keeps popping up. The, the Christian life is a battle of love. It's a battle of our desires. And who will win? Will it be the love of the Father or will it be the world? What, is, what John is also getting at is what is really forming you? What's driving you? Is it the love of God or the love of the world? What informs your financial decisions? What, what informs your relationships? What informs your free time? What informs your investments? What informs the way you live? Is it the love of the Father or the love of the world? See, because when the love of the Father is in you and causing you to know those indicatives, I've been forgiven, the, the evil one's been conquered, the sinful ways of the world, they don't win in your heart. This is what John's getting at. The sinful patterns, the sinful ways of the world, they, they don't become, they're no longer the supreme delight in your life. And they're, they're repudiated. Now, will we still sin? Of course. Of course, we're, still, we're not gonna do this perfectly. We're, we're going to sin. That's not what John's saying. Because what did he just say a few chapters ago? If we say we have no sin, we're a liar. And, the, and his word is not in us. So John doesn't expect us to always do this perfectly. But what he does expect, that when we mess up and we love the world and the sinful patterns, the sinful ways, the sinful offerings of the world, more than the love of the Father, he expects us to act like Christians and now confess it. To reject that love, to confess that sin and say, now I hate that what I, what I used to love. I, I hate that thing that I've done. And I want the love of the Father and we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, knowing that he, the Lord, is faithful and righteous to forgive us of all of our sins. And we hear from him, I am forgiven. I am forgiven. To love the world, church, and the things of the world is, is to have the sinful ways and to have the sins of the world and to look at it and say, no problem. There's no problem here. That's the love of the world. And if that's the condition of anyone, oh, I don't have any problem with these sins. This is totally fine. The love of the Father is not in him. It is to have, as verse 16 says, for everything in the world, look at what he says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. Did you see the contrast that, that, that happens here? Did you notice that he's talking about the love of the Father? But he doesn't talk about anymore the love of the world. He, he cracks open that word love and he goes, we don't really love the things of the world. What is it? Lust and pride. It's not really love. What's the difference? Love seeks enjoyment and at the same time of enjoying, it honors at the same time. 
Love seeks to enjoy and to honor the thing that it's enjoying. Lust only seeks itself. It's only self-gratifying. It's usury. Love looks to benefit others, to love God, to live for his glory, to benefit his causes. Lust just says me, me, me. I don't care who gets hurt. I don't care who's offended. It's all about me. A Christian can't live like this. The lust of the flesh, the first one, the lust of the flesh, it's the desires of our sinful nature. When they come up out of our own rotten corpse bodies that are still here, that are waiting to be made new, these, just the, the old man rearing its head, those come up and we say, no, I'm dead to you. I've been crucified to the old man. I've been crucified to the flesh along with its passions, as Paul says in Galatians. The lust of the eyes, this is when we, this is when we see something. It's the non-giving up of these desires. It's more external. The lust of the flesh is an internal temptation. The lust of the eyes is an external temptation. And we want it regardless of its toxicity regardless of how unfavorable and how hurtful it would be to us and others around us, we want it. John Piper tells a great story about telling his son one day he wanted some crackers. Uh, he just wanted crackers really bad or wanted really bad. So he opens up the crackers and they're spoiled and they're rotten and there's mold on them. And he says, oh, I, I can't give you these crackers. I'm sorry. He goes, but I want them. He says, I can't give them to you. There's, there's fuzz on them. You don't want to eat that. And his son said, I'll eat the fuzz. That, that's how we are. We see the toxicity of sin and we go, eh, I'm gonna roll the dice. I'll, I'll take an emodium. I'll take some Pepto afterwards. I'll pop a Tums. But the Christian would say, no, I, I don't wanna live like that. I don't want those things. And the pride in possessions, it's an interesting phrase, the pride in one's possessions. It's, it's finding significance and trying to find propped up worth in what we have what we don't have, we gotta get, what we own, that these things, these, these possessions, these define me. This is what gives me worth. We sing that great song, my worth is not in what I own. Pride and possession saying, no, it isn't what I own. It isn't what I drive. It isn't where I live. It isn't how my body looks. It isn't the status of my children. It, it isn't their successes. Um, I have to be this kind of person to these people pride and meaning and significance in one possessions. And, and John says, this is not from the father. That, these, these burdens, that is not what our father wants to put on us. That's from the world. That's the way of the devil. And John says, let me help you out with all of these things. Why? Why we shouldn't be content with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of possessions. Why we want to operate on a different plane than all of these things. Look at what he says, verse 17. Because the world with its lust, see there's lust again. The world with its lust is passing away. The sinful world is on a doomsday clock. It's ticking down. It's about to expire. Just like when you go to the grocery store, when you're all, you're masked up and you're sanitized up and you, and you go to the store and you're looking to buy milk, what do you do? I hope you don't just take the first one. 
You're looking around. What's the best date on this whole rack? And you grab a milk from the back. Why would you buy milk? That's going to go bad in five days when you could buy milk that's going to have the best buy day in like 10 days. You're buying a loaf of bread, you reach for the back. You want to find the best buy date. You want to find that longest expiration date possible. John says, friends, look at the expiration date on the world and its offerings. It's expiring. These things will not last forever. They are passing away. You should look at them and and hear them say, Mr. Stark, I don't feel so good. If you've seen Infinity War, Marvel, Avengers, you know exactly what's happening here as as Spider-Man and many are deteriorating into non-existence. The world and its lust, they don't feel so good right now and they're passing away. And, And one day they will be vaporized and they will not come back. Sin isn't coming back. It is done forever. So this is why John tells us, look to the joys that last that are gonna last forever. And I love the way Eugene Peterson, he paraphrases this verse in the message. He says, the world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. The one who does the will of God remains forever. See the contrast? It's passing the world and all its lust is, is evaporating. Like Ecclesiastes, it's all a mist. But this has a concreteness, the will of God. Is this on the front of your mind? Is this a real factor on your horizon that there's an eternity around the corner? That when, that when sin is maybe luring you in and temptations are, are cranking up in your heart that you could stop and say... <laughs> You're passing away. You, you are a nothing to me. I have an incredible future rating, waiting on me, so get lost, sin. Get, get lost, temptation. I've got something better for me. And I don't know if you noticed the shift in this verse. He doesn't say what I expected him to say. So the world with its lust is passing away. This is what I expected the verse to say. But the joys and blessings of God abide forever. That's not what he says. He says, the one who does the will of God remains forever. You have everlasting life. You remain forever. That's what John wants to show you. Yeah, he could have, it would have been great and true, but the joys of God last forever. But now he says, no, no, you last forever. Temporary things are beneath you. Don't stoop yourself down to things that are passing away, but grab a hold of your future. You have everlasting life. You have an invincibilized future in the crucified and risen Christ. And it's realized in doing the will of God. When you obey him, everything that he's talked about, walking in the light, not loving the world, living out the indicatives, doing the imperatives, walking in the light with Jesus, that person remains forever. Because Jesus remains forever now as our resurrected reigning king. 
And if you trust in Christ, that's your future too. The living Jesus rewrites our lives and he can rewrite your life too. If you know the love of the father, if, if you'll trust him and if you'll do the will of God, which is to believe in his son and follow him. Church, if, if anyone, even on the stream, if you're content with the lust of the world, you know what's implied in this verse is that then you don't have everlasting life. You could read the end part this way. The one who doesn't do the will of God doesn't remain forever. Instead of having everlasting life, you have everlasting death. The stakes are high. So trust in Christ. Run the race with him. Receive your prize. And do not love the world because all the stuff in the world that's sinful offerings and lust of the flesh and pride and possessions and lust of the eyes and all of these things are passing away. But the one who does the will of God, the one who believes in Jesus and the one who walks with Jesus remains forever. So let's run that race. Let's take our shape. Let's work on our footwork and let's run together towards that prize, the upward call in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. King Jesus, would you help us right now to not love the world? We live in, there is no doubt, everybody watching, we are some of the richest, wealthiest Christians in church history, in human history. And it's so subtle how we could love the things of the world. We could trick ourselves in thinking that, oh, since we don't enjoy uh, some kind of entertainment that we're not really loving the world, all while entertaining other sins. So Father, by the power of the Spirit, would you show us each uniquely if we are indulging the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or, or pride in one's possessions, and you would show us the, the mud pies in our hands and, and show us the, the cobblestone path that's waiting for us to a holiday at the beach with King Jesus. Help us, Lord, to now by faith believe, whether we're little children, young men, young women, whether we're spiritual mothers and fathers, that our sins have been forgiven, where the word of God remains in us and we're strong in you and we, we're not gonna love the world. We're gonna love you. You are gonna have supremacy in our hearts, in our lives. So help us now, King Jesus, by your power and by your cross and may we do your will. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth and in our lives as it is in heaven, amen.